0: Greetings, this is Jason Hill, and this is the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio, 1590 a.m. and 95.9 FM in Chicago.
1: Hey, good morning, everyone. This is Mike Sherrick, Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap, and it's Saturday, June 20th, 2020. Hey, Jay, how are you, man?
0: Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. I'm doing well.
1: We've got a new producer. We got, Nancy's our new producer, or at least learning how to become our producer. So, hey, Nancy, welcome. She's back there with Randall. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Okay. She's kind of cute. I hope that's not sexist, right? That's yes, probably... it is, Mike.
0: You just realized that you just made a <laughs> yeah, huge... Yeah, I just
1: made a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a, you know, what am I... Give me all the, the the pejorative pronouns that face me. I'm just an idiot. But, yeah, man, welcome. It's another, another crazy freaking week, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um. The, the hits just keep coming man you know so so where are you at today man what's going on what are you thinking
0: oh, oh i'm you I'm just wrote speech.
1: a you just wrote an article for front page right which i have yet to read
0: yeah it's called the um the advancing nihilism and the and the rot of postmodern postmodernism yeah and um you know i i just i have to write to make I'm a, I'm a philosopher, so I have yeah. to make chaos. Like mathematicians, we have to make chaos out of order. Um, or order or, or out, of out of chaos. chaos yeah. <laughs> what am I saying? See, it's, <laughs> There's I'm
1: a lot of thought. people that are making chaos out of order, Chad. Yeah, I, I order out of chaos. Yeah.
0: Although yeah. a lot of philosophers are the root of the chaos, that, as I pointed out in my article. Yeah. But I was, I was looking at, you know, just trying... And I said that I have a very warm heart, mm-hmm. but I have a very cold, unsentimental mind. Yeah. And so when I look out and I see... People whose cries of the heart are not unsympathetic to. People yeah. who have been brutalized, people who feel oppressed, people who feel like yeah. they've been victims of of racism. I also see at the same time, simultaneously, a kind of directionless rage where we have yeah. people tearing down statues of abolitionists, yeah. Winston Churchill in England, um, Abraham Lincoln, our great president, who was killed because he ended slavery in this country, yeah. had his statue, had his statue vandalized. Um the 54th regiment in boston of series of statues with i think black uh, uh mm-hmm. civil rights uh fi- fighters were were torn down when people are tearing down the statues of um slave owners yeah um indiscriminately arbitrarily uh alongside with um statues of basically emancipators of of, and of, abolitionists of, yeah. of, 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 of slavery and of black freedom advocates of black freedom. Yeah. Then there's something wrong. That's a, that's a sign that we're slipping into a kind of chaos and nihilism that has to be addressed while not ignoring the stories of people who really feel aggrieved. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I sort of took a philosophical approach and said that when we live in a relativistic culture and we, we, if we can't make distinctions among arguments and among reasoned opinions, when do you see when that's translated in the streets, it leads to mayhem and it leads to chaos. So it's, a, it's like applied relativism in the street. We see a statue yeah. of a white person. We're going to tear it down. We yep. don't know anything about whether that white person was an abolitionist or a trade, a trade, a slave trade trader or a slave owner. Yeah. It's in, it's a kind of weird inverted kind of racial logic that's taking place quite often. Yeah. And, um, on principle grounds, that bothers me, because if that inverted logic gets turned against me as a col- as a person of color, I could be in trouble. But taking me out of the picture just as a principle, it's
1: bad. Yeah, I was. I had an experience yesterday that was a bit unusual. Um, mm-hmm. I was at a cross-section on 25th Avenue in, in, I think it's Broadview over there, and there was a Juneteenth march. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you could imagine most of the marchers, especially in Broadview, and, and just the... The reason for the march. Most of the marchers were Afri- were black, you know. So I'm I'm sitting there, and I got flipped off a lot, you know. Mm. And um, I I don't think anybody who knows me would label me a racist, you know. Mm-hmm. I, there mm-hmm. there's times I've probably have done ignorant things, you know. I think I'm mm-hmm. fairly aware in this, you know. Um, and so here's here's these folks that are walking by have no clue who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, and see me, just see the visual depiction. I'm sitting in a Ford F-150 and I'm, you know, big white dude with sunglasses right. on, you know,
0: and right.
1: they they made it mean something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, I got a ton of compassion for what's going on. I, I've got a, trem- you know, limitless uh, space for imperfection. But it was like, wow, you know, there's this narrative going on mm-hmm. that is – it, it, we've gotten so into identity politics, we're not even looking beyond just the surface. Mm-hmm, we're, mm-hmm. we're not looking at the, like you, I love your description of a, a cold mind and a warm heart. Mm-hmm. We're not looking at that in people. You know, mm-hmm, we're not looking mm-hmm. at the diversity of thought. We're not looking at the different ideas people bring. We're not even inquiring and, and, and being curious, like, what's behind the look? You mm-hmm. know, everything's gotten to be so surface level yeah and even the surface can sometimes be uh, you know that that's pretty easy to dress up I mean I could dress up a lot of different ways right to to mislead you how I am, but yeah. I choose you know black harley t-shirts and blue jeans as a way of dress because that's what I'm comfortable with and now you can yeah. make that mean whatever you want right but I know who I am you know and it it I just found it to be kind of weird you know I wasn't angry or anything like that I didn't flip anybody off back or you know, pull out my gun or any of the typical
0: BS you would expect from that. But it just, yeah, it just was weird, you know? Well, Mike, you know, I think, I I, I wouldn't, I think a lot of black people would like, there was this video that went viral of this man jogging and this white woman said to him in a subdivision that he apparently lived in and went kind of went viral this week. And she said, go back to Oakland. And he just cursed (laughs) her out. Yeah. You know? So I think a lot of black people would say, well, this might be, this is the position. I mean, I have never talked about my experiences of racism. But yeah. I've never talked about because I'm just not, a, you know, yeah. I, for survival reasons. And because mm-hmm. I just, I will, I will chump your face verbally <laughs> regardless of your race. Cause I'm not scared of white people. I'm not yep. scared of, I'm not intimidated by anyone. So yeah. I've never talked about it, but I've never talked about like being followed in a store, dressed up in my three yeah. suit, looking like a million bucks. And, you know, so it's not that, it, a lot of black people have this experience, and I think pa- this is partly what is going on in the streets. We're like, it's the genie, the, the, it's a massive explosion where people yeah. who had repressed, you know, feelings of being of these infractions committed against them, yeah, or slights are now just letting out rage.
1: You, and you know what's funny, this-
0: Jay? It, when you said that,
1: and it happened to me this morning, I got a message from my friend, uh, I got it this friend in New York, Yosef, and uh. The black dude. He's actually a former member of the Black Panthers. Right? He's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty radical, extreme guy. But just great dude, loving the pieces. We have these incredible conversations. And um, he sent me this message, and and it was about kind of this, you know, lashing out at all white folk, right? And, mm-hmm. and I just said, I just don't see the value. And he goes, well, you know, this is what black folks have been dealing with for decades. And, well, that's and true. You, you, you know what occurred to me? It's like, oh, we're achieving equality. <laughs> <laughs> right we're being equally buttheads to each other now okay good box check can we move on from here you know well, but it's yeah it's it's a it's a moving closer to equality i'll tell you i'll be honest with you it's not comfortable it's not something i dig but
0: know? it's not a solution no
1: it's absolutely you know, not. A like solution. i said
0: i'm not a very sentimental person about no. life about about yeah. about about people about the ones that the person i'm in love with and select family members i'm not even sentimental about my friends um, i'm just not a <laughs> sentimental person i have a very warm heart but yeah. a cold dispassionate mind that will ruthlessly put look at things and you equal of heads strategic. is not a solution to yeah. any problem yeah. we're we're morally inverting yeah we're re- reverting to we're, we're succumbing to moral inversion if we do that yeah yeah you know and i just think of king's message where he could have turned a very uh toxic situation mm-hmm. against whites in this country and he preached a doctrine of love he did understanding and brotherhood and i mean i'm not one to turn the other cheek if someone commits an infraction against me but this 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 i said to you earlier on, on the show this endless apology this series yeah. of apologies that people are making because they are they just happen to be white but they themselves have their ancestors may not even have been slave owners. They may have right. been sharecroppers. They may have been part of an emancipatory movement. But ultimately, you know, you can't apologize. And I say this as a black person. You cannot apologize for your whiteness. No. It is an invariable, it is as invariable as the laws of, of nature. And you apologize more than two times, you become a supplicant. Yeah. And if people have committed infractions against, they can, they can there's a moment of reckoning. But there's also at the same time, I want to say before we go on break, I know we have to go on break soon. Yeah. Randall's gonna cut us off. Don't do that, Randall. Um <laughs> I wanna say that you you talked about this thing of mourning. Yeah. I wanna I would like us to i like you to talk about that some more. Yeah, and we well, can have, when we, we come can back, talk about we can it.
1: talk about that. Because it's a lot of this is starting to real it's starting to map on top of a lot of the work I do, the, the cultural transformation work. It's yes. just a really big organization. I've never taken on uh, an organization this, this high because it's really personal work and it's got to be done on a personal level. It's got to be done on a one-on-one level. So um, yeah, when we get back, we could talk a little bit about that. But yeah, what I really see is the the black population, along with the white population, has not mourned the impact of slavery. Mm-hmm. And so when we get back, we'll talk about that. This is Mike Sherrick. This is Jason Hill. This is End the Gap. This is WCGO Chicago. We're talking about the idea of, of The impact of slavery and the impact of um, really mourning and grieving, and one of the things one of the things that when I do the work I do Jay with with organizations and when you transform a culture, what you got to do is you got to get everybody back on the same page. So what has to happen is whatever grievances have occurred or whatever uh, violations have occurred or atrocities have occurred in the past, they've got to be surfaced and we got to we got to sort them out, (laughs) and we got to sort them out one by one. Like you can't step over them because when you step over them, that's that's like groundwork for holding a grudge, you know? I mean think about the relationships you've had and what causes the end of a relationship is that there was an infraction of some kind. It wasn't voiced or if it was voiced, it wasn't addressed. And you continue on on top of this thing and it actually puts a, a, a break in the foundation. And what needs to happen is not that we're not going to create infractions with one another. We're human beings. We're flawed. We make mistakes all the time, right? We we uh, Most of the time it's unintentional and sometimes it is intentional. It doesn't matter. It, it, the impact on the person that the infraction occurs on is the same. Yeah. And so unless that's addressed and addressed in a way that the person that's been impacted by it can actually accept what's happened as mm-hmm. not a personal attack but just as a circumstance that they have to live with and grow from. Mm-hmm. You know, then we we live and we're hurt and we're injured and and we can't be fully ourselves and it impacts our authenticity and an impact on authenticity destroys trust. So yeah. that's what goes on. So what I'm seeing, because I've had this thing like, holy cow, can we not get over the slavery thing? It's been 160 freaking years, you know? I mean, that's – you talk about your cold mind. I have this kind of mechanic sense to things like stuff's mm-hmm. broken or not, fixed or not, put it together, yeah. let's go. It's It's not personal, you know? Right. So right. like – can we get over this this 160 year gap since we've had slavery, and it keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. The 1619 project that you are have an alternative to mm-hmm. um, is irritating to me. And then I I just what I've learned too that if there's something that keeps showing up that I'm that I'm irritated by, I gotta look in, I gotta look over here and take responsibility. Why am I being so triggered by it?
0: So mm-hmm. I looked, and what I
1: realized is we haven't completely grieved. Either the white people or black people or, or the whole collective hasn't completely aggrieved the impact of slavery. And it's so it's so typical of America. We fought a war about it. 500,000 people got killed. We had the Emancipation Proclamation. We had the Appomattox were, we're generally surrendered. But then there's no, not a whole lot more conversation after that to actually heal it, right? And so in the, in the grieving process, there's five steps. And the last one is just accepting that it happened. And I don't think anyone's ever accepted that it's happened. I don't, think, I don't think people have accepted that we have a civil war and a certain part of it was lost. And I don't think anybody, you know, accepted or, or, or gave up the pain of what it meant to actually enslave other fellow human beings. Mm-hmm. And it's what happened. It's what we did as human beings. And it's not to justify it in any, any way, but we have to get through the process. Yes, that went on. Yes, that was foundational to our country. Yes, we've grown and learned from it. Yes, this was, it occurred in a time frame where it was, we didn't have the information and knowledge that we had today. And, and we just have to move forward. But there has to be this healing or this grieving that we just haven't done. Right. And what's required, it's like, you know, the Jewish tradition, which you're very familiar with, sits Shiva for that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where the person can actually be with the pain of their loss. No. And other people come and listen to them and sit with them and hold a space for them and honor them. Right. I mean, I think that's what we need is we need to sit Shiva for the freaking Civil War and, and for slavery and the impact of it.
0: You think so? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know that – here. well – when a white person apologizes for slavery, that's guilt by association. Because I don't know anything about your ancestors. No, I don't know I'm not apologizing about... for it. It happened. Yeah, it, there's so an impact happened, to it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I would, and I don't want anybody apologizing Because sure. it feels condescending and patronizing. Yeah. And, um, and I really don't need your apology. What I need for you to, is respect yeah, my, the inalienability mm-hmm. of my individuality of my rights, yeah. inviolability of my personhood. Do not mess with me. Do not create arbitrary laws that discriminate against me. Do mm-hmm. not commit infractions against me. Mm-hmm. What I would like to actually see, um, because it has struck me, you know, as somebody who has written about race for, um, I've been in this country for 35 years and I've been mm-hmm. writing ever since I landed, like the, f- the second week I saw Actually before you landed, right? Weren't you writing <laughs> on a plane? I, landed, I was in Jamaica. I was a journalist, yeah. yeah. Is, uh, and nobody's ever, because I've never written about race from the personal perspective Mm -hmm. i've written about it philosophically i've never talked about experiences of being followed in the store or teaching you know students who were members of the clan but i think what would be a more meaningful gesture is that and it occurred to me that a lot of black people have said to me white people have never said to them what does it really feel like to be a black person you remember the truth and reconciliation hearings in south africa Mm -hmm. where it wasn't it it was just sort of what so what is it like to be a black person
1: yeah
0: and have black people tell their stories, yeah, without at the same time incurring any kind of unearned guilt, right, by virtue of your whiteness. Because if you kneel, and you apologize more than once, mm-hmm. you become a supplicant, yeah. And then what you're really apologizing for the fact is that you have white, that you have white, that you're white, mm-hmm. and that's not a solution. So I don't know about the morning. I mean, the, the 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 slavery was was ended. Well, what I mean by morning, Jay. Is is when something happens, okay,
1: and and people don't complete the grief cycle, it keeps that
0: experience alive. But what would that look like, Mike? What would I mean? We had the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Yeah, I we don't had, know. We've had we've had we've had transgressions against black people in terms of redlining. Yeah, and in terms of just the way that a lot of black people get treated as second-class citizens. You mm-hmm. know. Um, Yeah. I mean, so I used to live in an all white subdivision and yeah, I would get looked at, but you know, me, you don't
1: don't mess with me. Don't
0: even question my right to be in my own neighborhood. Yeah. But a lot of people go through those slights and those, and, and, and they repress them or they suppress them rather. Yeah. And um, I think we don't know both the left and the right are Mm -hmm. really, really bad about having conversations about race. And I'll tell you why. The left is all about guilt by association, yeah. guilt by, ra- ra- by race. Yeah. The right is denying any kind of racism exists in this country, right. which is ludicrous to me. Right. I mean, so you watch <laughs> MSNBC and you watch Fox News, in yeah. which I've been several times. Yeah. Um, and it's like, there's, you know, racism is not, was never foundational to this, was never an endemic problem in this country. Right, And so neither... Sides have an honest approach right. to really having a conversation right. about race in America.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's the thing. You know, you ask me what – I don't have the answer. I, I just know I just know the impact of what happens when people don't complete the grieving process. It, yeah. it, it makes their life miserable, right? And what's, what's available on the other side – I've got this – I had a really dear friend who died from ALS, and her mom's a friend of mine.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and it's been – miraculous to watch her mom actually complete the grieving cycle as it, around her daughter which I couldn't even imagine like being able to do and she's completely empowered and alive and life is great and she celebrates her daughter all the time and it was just she recognized the great life her, her daughter had but she had to go through the whole process including anger including denial including upset including not wanting to let go of it right yeah. wanting to blame someone but like on the other side when you accept this is part of the, part of what you know, makes us incredible. And when I, th- when I think like in the, the black tradition, you know, from my perspective, what I see is this is an incredibly hardy group of human beings who went through hell and have survived and now have this, this passion and this power. What's possible mm-hmm. from there? Really empowered, you know? But, I, you know, the, the question you ask is that, what is it like to be a black dude in america in chicago in 2020 i don't know and
0: you're gonna get different answers sure from a, from someone like me who has a phd in philosophy yeah five i have five 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 college degrees including a phd <laughs> and i'm a professional yeah. and you know i live in i have a, a condo in in lakeview Yep. And I have access to three attorneys at my disposal. You mess with me. You are messing with the wrong dude. <laughs> so getting that answer from me is going to look very different than a black guy living on the south side who's, who's struggling just to cross the gang turf warfare, Yeah, right? So there are certain pathologies that are going on inside the black community, the, 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 the gangs. And so on and so forth. That answer is going to look very different. So it's not like there's going to be a monolithic answer coming from all black people about what it's like to be black in America. And I think that's that right there,
1: Jay, is one of the most important things that has to be pointed to. Because what you're really talking to is there's going to be this quilt of experiences that are going to be all different, these pieces. And that's like, that just there is going to blow the whole narrative out of the water. Yeah. Because everyone thinks there is a black experience. Well, no. Just like there's not a white experience. Or an Asian experience, it, it all of our experiences are unique to ourselves. And we're, we're not getting that. And we're, this is why the identity politics thing just irritates the crap out of me. It's completely and utterly inauthentic, and it, it rips us off of, of getting to know one another.
0: Yeah, you know. Well, you know, it exists on both sides. I mean, so we have the black separatists, but we also have the white nationalists. Oh, and, I know. And, and, I know. And so it's a form of tribalism. So you know, the yeah. identity politics works both ways. No,
1: I mean, no, have... no. Listen, I'm not. I'm not. Up, signing up blame to one party or another i'm just talking about yeah it as a whole no the exactly whole, as a whole yeah, yeah. identity
0: it's, politics is just bad because it, it creates artificial separate separations yeah. where there need not be any
1: yeah no it's it's horrible
0: it's absolutely horrible
1: so, um
0: yeah yeah i yeah this i don't i'm still thinking about this thing of, i'm just thinking here what this morning would look like and yeah. i i Maybe st- I need to abstract for my own self because I'm not one yeah. to linger. And, no, I'm not no, very, I'm not a very nostalgic person by nature. It's, it's not actually, about I... it's
1: not about nostalgia. Jay. It's really about looking back. See, you, you you mentioned a survival mechanism earlier, right? In lieu of getting things, in lieu of like completing the grieving process or mourning, what we end up doing was we truncate it, and then we create a strategy to work around it, and mm-hmm. that strategy becomes this survival mechanism we have. Yeah, and it it typically doesn't allow for real open thinking. It just becomes this pathway, you know? Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't – yeah, it's it's a really – listen, man, this is something that I really started looking at in depth about six months ago,
0: mm-hmm. right before
1: the COVID thing, um, the the impact of of grieving and what does it actually provide for us because I don't grieve anything, you yeah. know? Well, I do, but it's a weird process, and I deny it until, like, I can't be with it anymore. Like, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't accept my mom's death until six months after she was gone, and then I had to, but anyway, we're going to have to take a break. This is Mike and Jay. We'll be back in two minutes, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Again, we'll be back in two minutes. Mike Jay, WCGO Chicago.
0: Jason Hill here, and I want to let you know that you're listening to the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio. Tune in live from fifty ninety a.m. and 95.9 FM, the Smart Talk app, TuneIn or WCGORadio.com The podcast is available from Apple Podcasts Google Play Stitcher Spotify TuneIn and iHeartRadio Find it Rate it and subscribe If you'd like to get in touch about the show or inquire about sponsorship opportunities and rates please reach out to my co-host Mike at MikeSchreck at gmail.com Dallas
1: Cowboy Hall of Fame coach Tom Landry once said A coach is someone who has you see what you don't want to see and has you hear what you don't want to hear so you can always be the person you knew yourself to be. Hello, I'm Mike Sherrick, founder and president of the Mike Sherrick Group and Mike Sherrick Coaching. We are an executive coaching and leadership development organization with offices in Berwyn, Illinois and Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Successful organizations begin with the self-awareness and authenticity of its leaders. And in today's world, we are all leaders. If you or your organization has a big vision or you know there's another level you can go to please give us a call at 630-643-6336. If you're one of the first three people who call us today, you will be eligible for a free IMX leadership assessment and debriefing, a $550 value, free to you and your organization. So give us a call at 630-643-6336 and take it on.
0: Okay, back to the show now. Here's my co-host, Mike Schreck.
1: Hey, we're back. This is Mike J into the gap and again, Marvin Gaye, this is awesome. This is awesome. We were just talking off off during a break about how Marvin Gaye's music is more relevant today than it was when it was recorded back in the late '60s. So,
0: yeah, it hasn't lost its its relevance um, at all.
1: He, the guy, is just a pure artist. You know, you know what the thing that I miss is? I miss Motown.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the music that came out of Motown was just mm-hmm. freaking mm-hmm. amazing, and. Uh, yeah. Well,
0: it, it it was it was crucial because you know it, it went from s- the music that preceded it used to be called race music, which is a, a you know a euphemism for or a moniker for black music or Negro music as it was then called. And Motown put a, put a stop to all of that. I mean, Motown yeah. was really a great integrator. You know, yeah. blacks and whites came together, and 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 sh- and and that's the good thing about music is yeah. that it, you know. Which I want to get back to this thing about. Or shared humanity. Yeah, uh, it appeals to something that is that transcends race, that transcends ethnicity. I mean, you got Bob Marley from Jamaica, and I mean, there's <laughs> nowhere in the world. I mean, I've been to like 75 countries. I've had the privilege of traveling, and yeah. every time I go there, and I say, "Where are you from, Jamaica?" And it's everybody from Indonesia, China, yep. Vietnam, Bob Marley. You know, yeah. and <clears throat> one of the things, instead of these. Empty rhetorical flourishes that we see passing as apologies, um, which are just, it's just an easy way to people just get something off their chest. And it's like, it's like when the confession, right? And bless me father for I've sinned. this is my 25th confession. I did this last night. And you go back into the world. What I would like to see and something that I spent, you know, a number of years working on in my first three books um, on, on love of humanity and cosmopolitanism and what it means to be a citizen of the world is it's just, and this is a component of every ethics class I teach is this notion of dignity yeah. that everyone is possessed of, of, of dignity yeah. and, and a kind of inviolability. And you, you, you don't trespass on that. Yeah. We have something in the West, which presumes that each person is innocent until proven guilty. Yep. And I get accused of being naive all the time because I don't follow my gut and I don't follow my first impression of people. Mm-hmm. And I get hurt a lot, but I'd yeah. rather look at someone and say, that's a good Innocent, decent American, the yep. regardless of the color of his skin. Yep. Until he or she proves him or herself guilty. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is what this is this is a long philosophical way of looking at the problem. But I don't believe in piecemeal solutions. I'm like a wholesaler as yeah. opposed to a retailer in the realm of problem solving very often. Yeah. They're piecemeal they're piecemeal solutions to episodic problems. But if we really want to get race relations off on the ground, we have got to start not teaching identity politics, not no. teaching multiculturalism and, and this notion that each person belongs to a separate culture and distinct culture that they have to protect. But something like just it's very Christian and it's very Jewish. It's mm-hmm. very mono. it's very it's based on the Abrahamic religions. You find it just each person is possessed of inviolable dignity. Yeah. That we have to respect.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah we have to. You know
1: and <laughs> yeah and in and, and what your point to is just so yeah, I, I, I'm i almost without words, you know, because we've gotten, first of all, so much what you're talking about in, in, in treating people with dignity. And when you're talking about accepting people who you are not trusting your gut, you know, that gets back to the whole idea of the idea behind anti-fragile is it allows you to take risk. It allows you to engage with people without guarantees. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You're going to take a punch once in a while.
0: Yes, you are. And you know, it, you
1: know what? You know. You know how you become heavyweight champion of the world? You take a bunch of punches. That that's that's how it happens. You spar, you get hit, you learn how to take a punch. You learn the ones that hurt you, you learn the ones that don't hurt you. And mm-hmm. and we've gotten we've gotten to be a culture that is so easily offended by the slightest thing that we're unwilling to listen to anything that doesn't sound like what, you know, our team is preaching. Mm -hmm. and it's just Mm -hmm. it's insane and it just creates more and more and more of a divide
0: and it's heartbreaking
1: yeah
0: well mike your point another subject that i've noticed 35 came here when i was 20 35 celebrating 35 years in august of living in america it's americans of all races have just gotten softer yeah Yeah, and you know more entitled softer uh less less tough about life Mm -hmm. more sentimental yeah there's nothing more horrible, that maudlin, mawkish sentimentality to me. I, I can't stand it. I know. I like treating people with kindness and respect, but I think sen- oversensitivity yeah. about anything in life, yeah. suffering is built into life. Is yeah. It's an intractable it's feature of first, life.
1: It's the first, it's the first tenant of, of Buddhism is yeah. life is suffering. So what? That's where you learn. That's where you grow. That's where you strengthen yourself. You know, right. it's actually to be celebrated. It, it, that's the part that makes me freaking nuts, and yeah. it's you know, I'm nowhere near as is. As, uh, oh, what's the word? uh Cultured in my expression
0: as you are, but you know, it just it just it's like so freaking irritating. And but I'll tell you, go ahead, Mike. No, no, that, that's is, yeah. There's a story that I want to share. I mean, sure. When I first got my first job, I've never written about this in any of my books. Mm-hmm. I've never talked about this. is The first time I'm probably gonna mm-hmm. maybe talk about this. When I got my first job out of graduate school with yeah. a newly P- minted PhD. Mm-hmm. It was at Southern Illinois in Edwardsville. And 80% of my students there told me that they were in the Klan. Yeah. They'd never had a black instructor before. And I remember meeting this guy and he said, I'm nothing but a dumb farm guy. Farm guy. And he had on the, the Ku Klux Klan skull ring, which one, the, and one of the girls said, you know, Dr. Hill, he put the herd on someone. That's the word she used. Yeah. Chilling, he put the herd on someone. Yeah. And I could have made a decision right there and then, you know, that I'm going <laughs> to not a situation for me I am, I am i could have had many different interpretive responses sure but i said look these are kids who are born into a family are inducted into mm-hmm. a, an, an institution that many of them didn't sign up for but first and foremost they're human beings yeah. and i said to them look i said i don't care whether your grandfather <clears throat> or your father's in the clan this is my classroom this is my ship you're going to call me doctor professor or sir you're going to treat me with respect I'm going to hold tutorials most of them are failing i'm going to hold tutorials in my office on a saturday morning free yeah. of charge because i was teaching logic <clears throat> yeah and logic is you know it's like the answer is right or wrong mm-hmm. and it's like i, algebra, I tutored right? them for a year yeah. i tutored them for a year yeah and at the end of the year it's like to serve with love with sydney patier they were, <laughs> they were they were they were crying because they yeah. took a two-part logic course with me yeah you know, and I said, I'm going to get a couple of insults, which I did, and I brought them to my office, and I said, look, if you ever speak to me that way, or even look at me that way, I will fail you for an infraction. Yeah. And then you can bring your daddy with a shotgun, because I grew up in Jamaica, the most violent country on the most violent place on earth, so don't mess with me. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, you're going to get, in our, whether we're white or black, mm-hmm. we're dealing in a world with class differences, yeah, with, with racial differences, and tensions, class tensions, racial tensions. Yeah. And we have to be armed with this thing that we're going to take risks when we deal mm-hmm. with each other yeah. and we trust and we respect the dignity of our fellow citizens. Yeah. And that's what I go, that I go out into the world with that every day. I see a store clerk, I stand up, I make conversation with her. I said, Hey, how are you doing? And while yep. she's checking me out, I'm very interactive. I'm very social. That yep. I'm, being unsentimental doesn't mean that you're cold towards people.
1: Jay, what you're pointing to are two really important things. And the first one is operating to your commitment. And so you've yes. got a commitment. You've got – you had a commitment to educate these kids regardless of what their background was. You've got a commitment yeah. to express yourself and use the knowledge you've attained and developed even more experience and and, and move forward your commitment to philosophy. So, that, so there's that. And then there's the other thing, which is choice. People mm-hmm. can be born into something. But you're not born into – one of the things that makes America great is that you can be born into any class and you can break out of it if you want it hard enough. I've got a Absolutely. really good friend of mine that was born at 37th in Michigan in the projects, right? If you saw a picture of his house today, you would be shocked. And the guy lives in a 7,000-square-foot house in, in uh, Arizona, and mm-hmm. he makes seven figures a year, and he's possibly one of the most successful people. He's one of the coolest people I know. I don't know about mm-hmm. how you measure success, but he's definitely successful. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's he's a black dude, you know? And he just, you know, brilliant, went to St. Ignatius High School, went to Northwestern, did all the things, you know? Mm-hmm. But he was not going to stay at 37th and Michigan, you know? It was just sheer will and choice. And that's mm-hmm. what America gives anybody. Is it more difficult sometimes than others? Yes. Is it more difficult for some people than others? Yes. Is is there more challenges? Yes. But there's no blocks if you really want to get past it. You know? And when you talk about the softness of it, the, the difference between being tough and soft is your willingness to accept, you know, to to bypass no enough. You know? Yeah. I'm just no, that I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna I'm keep, gonna keep going. going. Like your resp- and- your response to the rednecks down in uh, Edwardsville.
0: You know? Yeah. That's yeah and there might be blocks there might yeah. be there might be more blo- like for women there have been historically. it's just these are this is why i said people can't honestly talk about not just classism yeah no there or are racism but even sexism yeah. if you're a woman growing up in the 30s or the 40s in this country and today in many cases if you're a woman of, of a certain social class oh, yeah. uh, you're going to face certain forms of sexism institutional sexism sure. in that still ex- exist in the minds of very weak men mm-hmm. uh, who are afraid of a brilliant woman um, so there might be blocks, but you, you're responsible for your life. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you, it, and you, and you, and you have to work. It's like Hans-Lisa yeah. Rice said, growing up in the segregation itself, she just knew that she had to be twice as good. Yeah, that's it. I mean, is yeah. it fair? No, it's not fair, but it's, it's what's so. So And yeah, you, and while fine. knowing yeah. that you work towards a fairer world, yeah. you work, you work towards a world in which people are, are treated fairly and justly, Yeah. but you've got to also be a realist. Yeah. You know, and maybe it's my immigrant experience coming from a different country into a new country. You come with a kind of re- – armed with a kind of realism. Mm-hmm. And, well,
1: and objectivism, too, that you bring. Yeah, that, exactly. You know,
0: that exactly. I may not
1: have. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a different perspective there. So anyway, we're going we're gonna to take a break in a little bit um, and we're going to come back in the, for our last segment. What have we – there was a bunch of stuff we wanted to put in. What have we not put in so far today? We haven't talked about hypocrisy on both sides yet. Yeah. Uh,
0: yes. 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 You know, I don't know. If we well, we, we mentioned it when we talked about it a little bit. About I guess. It. Yeah. But MSNBC and Fox, are yeah, two may- polar opposites about talking about race.
1: Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about music and how cool that is when we get back. But, uh, you know, I, the thing I do want to talk about is I want to talk about, um, Candace Owens. Um, I'd love to get your take on her. I'm not that familiar with her. And, and she put out a video the other day that, uh, riled a bunch of black folks that I know
0: and it riled me up and I'll tell you why
1: okay good then I want to I want to hear her because I I didn't it didn't rile me I was just listening to it and I'm like okay this is interesting it's a perspective and I think she plays on the fact that she's a millennial a young black girl you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. she doesn't look like her message so I want to touch base with you on uh, the Candace Owen thing I'm I, I gotta plead ignorance to her I, I know she's a Twitter I and I don't I'm not I haven't been on Twitter in six months um, I know she's uh, is a quote-unquote conservative uh, Trump backer, and mm-hmm. she's a millennial black girl, black mm-hmm. woman, black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I also know is she pisses off most black guys I know. So, and I'm not sure well, why. I've met her, and I've heard her talk, and... Um, I've, I, I thought you would, because you guys kind of travel in the same...
0: Well, she, I'm an independent conservative. I never voted for Donald Trump. And no, She's I know. a huge Trump backer. Yeah. And... Um, and uh, uh, An obsessive, almost addictive Trump backer. Yeah. The video, the thing that the video that's pissing off a lot of people is right after George George Floyd was killed. Yeah. uh, She put out a video saying that he is not my martyr, and she brought up his police record. She did the same thing with the other guy that was killed in Atlanta. What's his name, Richard something? Yeah. Um, And I find that very, very disturbing. These these men were unarmed, Mm -hmm. and and I'll give you an analogy, Mike. Why I find it disturbing? They were unarmed. They posed no imminent threat to the police. Yeah. And they were, in my view, unjustly killed. Yeah. She brings up Floyd's record,
1: uh-huh.
0: quote unquote, criminal record. Yeah. Now, in the old days, they used to do that in the court yeah. against women and say that because you had a lascivious, yeah. slutty little past and you slept with a it, lot of men. It
1: justified being that, raped.
0: Yeah. That the rape that you have. Yeah. So I think without... I'm not gonna armchair psych get into armchair psychologizing on the show, but I think part of her stick is that she really wants to appear as a good black. Okay. And one of the things that she does is by she she constantly shows that these black men who are who have been, been killed by police officers yeah. are not quote unquote good blacks. They yeah. have a criminal record. Yeah that to me is as and i'm here's my cold dispassionate unsentimental logical yeah. mind working that is irrelevant it doesn't no, so it i want to say so what yeah it that doesn't make him deserving of having a police officer right. kneel in on his neck for 8 minutes while he's screaming for his dead mother yeah and pleading for his life yeah we don't we we've, we've gone past the stage where we need to demonize and morally uh you know sort of just walk all over people, like just smash their whole moral identity yeah. as a way of justifying either what happened or either w- as a way of diminishing the seriousness of what took place when that police officer surrounded by three others knelt on his neck. Yeah, yeah, That's what pissed off a lot of people because okay. if we did it to a woman, yeah, if we said she got raped and then suddenly said, but she slept with, you know, she went to all these bathhouses. Yeah. A lot of gay guys do. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Right, and in her life, she went to these bathhouses, oh. and she would just like sleep with six hundred and forty men a week.
1: Yeah, yeah, we would
0: be outraged. Yeah, I mean, we've we've passed that stage where we bring up someone's past infractions yeah. as a way of as a way of diminishing the seriousness of what has taken place, and that's what pissed me off about Got it. her.
1: That makes perfect um, sense. That that makes sense. And what I heard that I thought was was taking people off in the beginning of that that video, she talks about how. Um, the black community is the only community that's that everybody spends a tremendous amount of time um, speaking about and defending the lowest, for lack of a better word, lowest level of the community, you know?
0: And, the, what and, you and, call the, the bottom dominator, yeah.
1: Yeah. And and, and that was like – that had me think. that That's the reason I've, I thought what she was saying. And then her arguments supported that. But what you're pointing to, there is no justification for assassination.
0: No. There's, there's no
1: justification for even – even the guy in Atlanta, I mean, that's going to be a rough one because he did pull the, the taser from these guys and he fought with the guys. But he was also running away and he shot him in the back. You yeah. know, if he's running away and you shoot him in the back, he's running away, you know.
0: Shoot him in the butt or the leg or something. So yeah, they you shot him,
1: one shot went the butt and the other one went through his back and went through his lung and heart, I think, or something like that, you know. But, it, yeah, he got him in the butt. and uh, And if you get him in the butt, it's going to knock him down. It's going to have a hard time running, you know especially with those nine millimeter hollow points, that's going to leave a mark, you know? So I don't know, man, none of this stuff, clearly there needs to be a a reorganization and a, and a redefinition and a restructuring of what it means to be police in America today. Yes. You know, like we, we talked about the militarism of it, that, that, of the police, which is frightening. Yeah. Which blew up after nine 11 and it just got, you know, it's gotten to be, so they're paramilitary groups. It's not the, it's not the police department. I remember when I was a kid,
0: you know, I mean, um, it's not the police department. I remember when I came to America, where they yeah, were driving okay. like these Ford vehicles, and yeah. you know, even in even in my neighborhood in Atlanta, my mm-hmm. the all-white neighborhood, the, the the cops knew me. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a fervent runner, so I would <laughs> jog every day, and they would yeah. just say, "Hey, you do know, how you doing?" and wave to me, and yeah, and, you knew I was that Jamaican guy who had just come to America. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was a more, and this is a, we're talking about Atlanta, 1985,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right, where there was a more interactive. Yeah. relationship between police and the community yeah. yeah so you know if there were any racist white people wanted to call the cops on me it, it wouldn't have worked because the police in that yeah. well it, atlanta, town of stone mountain they knew who i was right? especially atlanta in the 80s was
1: you know as cosmopolitan a town in the country as there was yeah and, and was probably the most integrated town in america at the time exactly you know? exactly um and was really and i don't know what happened i mean it was i mean
0: atlanta was like the place in the '80s was, and '90s. Oh, fabulous! You yeah. I I spent eight years there from '85 yeah. to '93. Yeah, and it's if I have any semblance of nostalgia, I feel it towards not uh, anywhere. I've lived in five cities, and it's it's going to be Atlanta. Yeah, it's a wonderful yeah. place to live. I love the South. Oh, I love I, this. I
1: love the South. I, the South. I mean, I, I my favorite place in the South is is uh, Nashville, closely followed by Greenville, South Carolina. You know, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. has become just an incredibly beautiful place. You know. Yeah. But you know, yeah, I I do love the South. I'm I'm uh, I'm really thinking of that maybe and where I end up going eventually. You know, um, and you know, I don't know what it is. I was I was born down there. I lived down there till I was one.
0: You know, so I don't have deep roots.
1: but mm-hmm. yeah,
0: You know. Oh, I didn't know you left that early. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was pretty young. I
0: was pretty young and uh, mm-hmm.
1: came to Berwin, right? So. <laughs> So you're more of a Berwyn guy than your Southern guy.
0: Oh, I kept on thinking that you grew up in the South. And you no, no, no. Chicago. I didn't grow
1: up in the South. I was, I was. I, oh, I, I went didn't? down there. Oh. I went down there every summer for years. Oh, I see. You okay. know, but I, I didn't
0: grow up. There. I didn't go to school there or anything. You yeah, know?
1: I've got too much of a Chicago accent to be from there. You know, come on. Well, yeah, you know? yeah. I just so, thought you yeah. grew
0: up, we came here in your teeth" or something. But, I, I have um, a, a
1: love of the SEC. I think that's what it is. So, <laughs> 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 so anyway, man. Uh, yeah, we got about two minutes left. Uh, this has been a great conversation, Jay. This is, um, this, you know, again, it, it's, it's opened my eyes to things, but what it's really made me realize is what we're really going through as a, as a nation is really a, a true cultural conversation uh, mm-hmm. and, and a true cultural transformation. And to get there, there's going to be, you know, all the, all the stuff that's been under, you said it earlier, all the stuff that's been underneath the surface has got to come to the surface. Oh, I just,
0: to, yeah. just hit the phone mic. Yeah. You, Mike. Yeah. And so, these symbolic gestures of people kneeling and apologizing—that's oh, that's not going to work. That's that's it's patronizing, it's condescending, it's uh, it's it, it's a it's offensive. I don't want I don't want any person, white or black. The only person you should kneel before is the Lord or God. Exactly. Do not kneel before me. Instead, stand up, look me square in the eye, yeah. and treat me as an individual, with my the, the dignity that I was possess I was born with, a moral dignity, an intrinsic, unassailable value respect that i want people to stand up of all races don't kneel before me look me in the eye yeah and treat me as an individual
1: anyway we're done here my friend i agree with you a thousand percent thank you so much thanks everyone for listening this is mike sherrick this is jason hill this is into the gap this is wcgo chicago we are out of here see you next week